The Word of God is readily available to just about any American. The question is, though, will anyone here understand and follow its ways? In the biblical story of King Ahab's death, we have an obviously tragic example of someone who disregarded the Word of God. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're in a verse-by-verse study of the life of Elijah. In today's passage, we'll see a couple of different responses to the Word of God, which ultimately leads us to Christ's exemplary response to the Father. Well, Phil, in today's story, we meet three main characters. Can you tell us about them? Well, Mark, we have King Ahab, and we've certainly met him before, wicked king of Israel. And we have Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. And as we'll see, he was a man who really wanted to know God's will for his life. And that message of God's will was delivered for him through the prophet Micaiah, a true and faithful servant of God. And really in today's passage, we see a contrast between a man who refuses to follow God's will and two men who are fully committed to doing what God says. Well, clearly the question would have to be then, uh, how do we know that we're following God's will and genuinely hearing his word? Well, Mark, I think that's an important question, and particularly when you think about what we're trying to accomplish with this radio program, where we're teaching every last word of the scriptures. And that's really the answer, isn't it? The place that we find the will of God is in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. And God uses our circumstances. He uses the life of prayer to bring guidance. We may get counsel from other godly Christians, but everything has to be tested by the standard of God's revealed will as we find it in the scriptures. Appreciate it, Phil. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Kings chapter 22 and listen to God's word for us today. Sometimes your sins come back to haunt you. That is what always seemed to be happening to poor King Ahab of Israel. Back in 1 Kings chapter 20, the Lord God delivered Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, into Ahab's hands to be put to death. He deserved to be put to death because he was a sworn enemy of the Lord God. But Ahab let him go in search of national security and economic prosperity, Ahab spared Ben-Hadad's life and he made a treaty with Syria. And now, in 1 Kings chapter 22, Ahab must pay for his bargain with evil. Ben-Hadad is back. And we discover in the first verses of this chapter... Surprise, surprise, that Ben-Hadad has reneged on his deal. Ben-Hadad agreed to return to Israel the cities that he had captured from them, and now it is three years later, and he still has not forked over Ramoth-Gilead. As we go into Ahab's chambers, we can hear him complaining to his officials and appealing to their patriotism. Don't you know, this is verse 3, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we are doing nothing to retake it from the king of Aram. Ahab's sins are coming back to haunt him. And now he has a decision to make. What should he do about Ramoth Gilead? Should he recapture the city from the Arameans or should he let them keep it? You see, like so many of us, Ahab wants to know God's will for his life. God does reveal his will in this chapter. But as the story unfolds, we find three 
very different responses to that will. In Jehoshaphat, we find a man who seeks God's counsel. In Ahab, we find a man who rejects God's word. And in Micaiah, we have a man who suffers for God's truth. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, is a man who seeks God's counsel. He went down from Jerusalem, this is verse 2, to have a summit meeting with Ahab in his palace in Samaria. The two kings were allies, and so when Ahab asked Jehoshaphat to join his campaign, he was willing to go. He said, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. But then Jehoshaphat reveals the golden quality of his character as a man of God. He also said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Of course, Jehoshaphat is brave enough to go into battle. Of course, he is loyal enough to help his brothers regain their territory. But first things first, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Literally, first seek the word of the Lord. You see, Jehoshaphat's primary concern is to know and obey the word of God. And that is why he is not impressed when Ahab brings out his hundreds of prophets, all of whom say, Go, for the Lord will give Ramoth Gilead into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat knows better than to trust these Ahab's prophets. He wants a second opinion. Is there not, he says, a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? First things first, Jehoshaphat wants to know what God has to say. And apparently this was his usual practice. Whenever King Jehoshaphat found himself at his wit's end, he sought God's wisdom. In 2 Kings chapter 3, we will read how he went with King Joram of Israel to fight against Moab. Scripture says that after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. They were in dire straits. And the strain was beginning to tell on King Joram, who was Ahab's son. Well, like father, like son, when things did not go Joram's way, he pouted. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to hand us over to Moab? But Jehoshaphat kept his cool, as he always did, even when there was no water for him or for his men or for their horses. He was a man of God, and a man of God first seeks the counsel of God. He said on that occasion, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord through him? Of course, there was a prophet of the Lord there, God's man, Elisha. The rest of that story is for another sermon. All we need to see this morning is that these two episodes show us everything that we need to know about King Jehoshaphat. We know that he was a wonderful king. His reign is summarized for us in verses 41 through 50. At the end of the chapter we are studying this morning. This is the epitaph he has earned. In everything he walked in the ways of his father Asa and did not stray from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now Jehoshaphat was not perfect. The Bible records some of his failures. But he was 
God's king because he sought God's counsel. And so in the name of Christ this morning, I urge you to become a son or a daughter of Jehoshaphat. A man like Jehoshaphat makes an excellent leader in society. He seeks God's wisdom for all his business. He makes an excellent husband and father. When he is faced with difficult domestic decisions about whom to marry, about where to live, about how to raise his children, he says, first, we will seek the counsel of the Lord. He does not rely on his own instincts. He seeks God's counsel and rests upon it. A man like Jehoshaphat makes an excellent leader in the church. When he is faced with difficult decisions about how to do ministry or about how to spend the Lord's money or about how to confront sin, he asks, what does God say about this in his word? He is always the first man on a committee or in a Bible study to say, let's spend some time praying about this. Of course, seeking God's counsel in these ways is not just for men. Every Christian is to seek first the counsel of the Lord. A woman who does so is a daughter of Jehoshaphat. She is a wise and godly woman. If she is single, she will know how to manage her affairs. If she is married, she will know how to love her husband and how to care for her children. If she works outside the home, she will know how to work with her colleagues well. If she serves in the church, she will be a wise deaconess or a wise teacher or a wise counselor. She is the woman who always knows the right Bible verse to share with you about your difficult situation in life. She is the woman whom you see huddling in prayer with a friend after the worship service. She always seeks the counsel of the Lord. And of course, this is also for a young person. A child or a young person who seeks the counsel of the Lord will accomplish great things for God. Imagine what the Lord could accomplish through your life if at this early age you learn how to become a son or daughter of Jehoshaphat, seeking first the counsel of the Lord for all decisions. How do you do that? How do you seek the counsel of the Lord? Well, you cannot consult with the Lord's prophet the way Jehoshaphat did. God does not send us prophets because, as it says in the Scriptures, he has said everything he needs to say to us through Jesus Christ. So where do you find God's will for your life? First, of course, in the Bible. In the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, we learn everything we need to know for life and for godliness. The Word of God establishes our principles for godly living. Second, through Christian friends. One of the ways God shows us His will is through the advice of friends who know us well and know the Scriptures well and can help us understand the Scriptures for our life. And then third, through prayer. This is part of the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit to provide wisdom for life. When you come to a major life decision... Ask God for his help. If necessary, keep asking over and over again, night after night, for wisdom about the same decision. The Holy Spirit will give you all the wisdom you need when you need it. But of course, seeking God's counsel through prayer is not just for the big decisions. It is for all of life. 
Many Christians do not pray often enough about the little things, the little things of every day. If you can imagine that prayer is like our telegraph wire to God, and too many of our wires lie silent throughout the week. We may pray at meals, we may pray perhaps at a Bible study, but that may be about it. You see, your telegraph wire to God ought to be buzzing and crackling with short messages to Him all day long. A short prayer should be offered every time you need God's help. Last fall, I went to a college football game at Franklin Field, and as we were about to catch a bus after the game, I suddenly realized that my three-year-old's baseball cap was missing, his special baseball cap. I was tempted to run right back into the stadium before it was gone forever. But there, as the tears were welling up in his eyes, we stopped to pray by the gate to ask for the Lord's help. I think that is what Jehoshaphat would have done. First, seek the counsel of the Lord. And of course, our prayers were answered. We found the hat where it had fallen in the bleachers. You see, anyone who seeks God's counsel gets all the wisdom he needs, even if it's only for baseball caps. Now, unfortunately, Ahab had his own way of making decisions, and it did not involve seeking God's counsel. He shows us what happens, sadly, to a man who rejects God's word. Now, you may remember that Ahab likes to get his own way. And so it is that he has surrounded himself with yes-men, with prophets who will tell him whatever he wants to hear. The Bible does not tell us who these prophets were. Perhaps they were prophets of Baal, although that seems unlikely because Elijah seemed to have taken care of them at the Kishon River. Perhaps they were true prophets who have wandered away from the Lord God. I suppose I am tempted to think of them as theological liberals, Prophets who had a form of godliness but denied its power. Well, whoever they were, they were not prophets of the Lord. They did not know his will. And after they have said their peace, Jehoshaphat looks around with some impatience, I imagine, and says, Isn't there a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Ahab's answer is the answer of a man who rejects God's word. Listen to what he says. There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. It is enough to take your breath away. Ahab does not want to hear what God has to say. He hates God's prophet because he hates bad news, even when it is the truth. What a fool. Ahab did not understand that it is better to hear one painful truth from God's own lips than to hear a thousand cheerful lies from the lips of his enemies. If only Ahab would heed Jehoshaphat's quiet warning, the king should not say that. Instead, Ahab tries to prove that Micaiah is out to get him. He is more interested in proving himself right than he is interested in finding out God's will. Verse 9, so the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. Now at first, 
It seems, although it is difficult to be certain, that Micaiah speaks with sarcasm, mimicking the other prophets, quoting them word for word. Attack and be victorious, he answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. But Ahab knows instinctively that cannot be the real message, surely. He insists that Micaiah tell him nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord. Well, here's the truth, Ahab. Verse 17, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. You see, the prophecy is that Ahab will be killed in battle. His people will be left without a ruler, although they themselves will go home in peace. And so Ahab was right about Micaiah. I told you so. He tells Jehoshaphat, there he goes again. I knew it. I just knew it. He never has anything good to say. Didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? But you see, there is a reason Micaiah prophesied something bad about Ahab. It is because he speaks for God. And God himself has something bad to say about Ahab. And there is also a reason why Ahab's prophets have prophesied something good. You see, Micaiah can explain both why he is right and why all these other prophets are wrong. Micaiah explains that God himself has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. God is sovereign over the false prophets as well as the true. Even they must do his bidding. But Ahab has heard enough out of Micaiah. He hears the word of God and then he rejects it. As far as he is concerned, majority rules, especially when the majority is in his favor. And in this case, Micaiah is outnumbered by a couple of hundred to one. The king of Israel then ordered, and this is what we read in verses 26 and 27, put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. How presumptuous. Ahab discovers the will of God for his life, and then he goes out and does precisely what he wants to do. What happens to a man who rejects God's word? Verses 29 through 36 tell the sad, sad tale of a man who resisted God's will and rejected his word. The last thing Micaiah said to Ahab was, If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Mark my words. It seems that as Ahab went out to battle, he began to feel a little uneasy about that prophecy. Maybe God's word is truth after all. Ahab knew that ancient warfare was like a game of chess. The main objective was to kill the king. That's what Ben-Hadad tells his chariots to do in verse 31. Do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. Well, I told you Ben-Hadad would come back to haunt Ahab. Well, the more Ahab thought about the way the battle would go and about the way those Arameans would hunt him down all over the battlefield, the less he liked the idea of going out there in his robe and in his crown. As he rode up to Ramoth-Gilead, he came up with a clever plan. At least it seemed clever. 
The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Ahab's plan worked to perfection. At first the Arameans mistook Jehoshaphat for Ahab. But when they were about to kill him, Jehoshaphat cried out, and they realized that they had the wrong man. Nobody had a clue where Ahab was. But, this is verse 34, but someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long the battle raged and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Arameans. The blood from his wound ran onto the floor of the chariot and that evening he died. This is what happens to a man who rejects the word of God. This is what happens to a man who follows his own plans in contradiction to God's revealed will. Oh, the irony and the sovereignty of the justice of God. In Syria, they called it a lucky shot. No one even knew who had shot that arrow. But in Israel, they knew much better. Ahab was able to fool the Arameans, but he was unable to fool God. The bow drawn at random was released according to providence. Once God had determined that Ahab should die, he might as well have rode into battle with a giant target painted on his chest. You see, the arrow of divine judgment always finds its mark. Ahab's death in this way vindicated the word of God. God's word is truth. The Lord was speaking through his prophet in chapter 20 when he promised that it would be Ahab's life for the life of Ben-Hadad. The Lord was speaking through the prophet Elijah in chapter 21 when he promised that the dogs would lick up Ahab's blood. And the Lord was speaking the truth through the prophet Micaiah, when he promised that Ahab would not return from battle, not safely anyway. As the sun was setting, a cry spread through the army, every man to his town, everyone to his land. Just as Micaiah promised, the sheep of Israel were left without a shepherd. How shall we apply the lessons of this story for Ahab? Do not reject the Word of God. Do not resist the will of God. Perhaps as you come on this Sunday morning, you know that you need to confess your sins and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, and yet you still haven't asked him into your heart. Do not delay any longer. Heed the sure truth of God's Word. And if you know Christ, then do not continue to sin against your better judgment and against the Word of God. Perhaps you have a sexual relationship outside of marriage, which you know is contrary to the will of God, and yet you are still in that relationship. Maybe you are carrying a grudge, which you know is contrary to the Word of God, and yet you are still feeding that grudge. Perhaps you are living in some dishonesty, which you also know to be against the Word of God, and yet you continue to live a lie. 
Or perhaps, which is perhaps more likely, you are nursing some small sin, some small resentment, some small covetous desire, some small indulgence. Listen, if you know the will of God, and then you continue to go out and do as you please, then you are just as foolish as Ahab was. You are a man or a woman or a child who rejects God's word. Do not let Ahab's epitaph become your own. This is what one scholar concludes about him. Ultimately, Ahab is judged as a man who heard from God, yet did not act on the revelation he received. Do not let it be said that you heard from God and did not act on what you had heard. Instead, become a man or a woman or a child like Micaiah. When Micaiah heard the word of God, he believed and he obeyed it. He was incapable of doing anything else except trusting and resting and believing and obeying in the word of God. See how bold he was for God's truth. When Micaiah was being brought before Ahab's court, it was a grand spectacle as we read in verse 10. Dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. Very impressive. There were the kings in all their regalia. There were the prophets with all their predictions. In fact, we read that they had even prepared some visual aids. Zedekiah, son of Kana'anah, had made iron horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says, With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. I can imagine Zedekiah prancing about, putting the horns up on his head, and playfully jabbing at the other prophets. They were all saying the same thing. They were all flattering the king. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Micaiah hardly stands a chance. You can see that his escort feels sorry for him. He quietly tries to help him by giving him a little friendly inside information in verse 13. Look, there's one man the other prophets are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah is not interested in the scuttlebutt from the palace. He is not impressed by the finery of the king's. He is not intimidated by the predictions of the false prophets, no matter how many there are. All he cares about is what God himself has to say. And you can see clearly the reason for this in these verses, and especially that amazing verse 19. You see, Micaiah has already visited the throne room of the Most High God. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. What a wonder it must have been to behold the majestic splendor of Almighty God. This is the privilege of the true prophet of God, to have an audience with the King of Kings. This is the same thing the prophet Isaiah saw, the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted in the train of his robe, filling the temple. Holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And so you see that when Ahab commanded Micaiah to speak the truth in the name of the Lord, Micaiah could not do anything else. He had heard the truth from God's own lips, and he was ready to pass it on to Ahab. How Micaiah suffered for the sake of that truth. Not only was he imprisoned by the king and put on nothing but prison rations, he was also abused by the king's prophets. Verse 24, then Zedekiah went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? Zedekiah taunts. But Micaiah did not retaliate. He did not defend his ministry. He knew the truth of God's word for certain, and he rested upon that truth. And he knew that the only way to show that he was a true prophet and not a false prophet, was to wait and see what happens. God's word always comes true in the end. So Micaiah quietly says, you will find out on the day when you go to hide in an inner room. Zedekiah will discover the truth for himself on that day when he has to hide in some closet from his enemies. By suffering for God's truth in this way, Micaiah gives us a glimpse of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The sufferings of the prophets of the Old Testament always teach us about the sufferings of our great prophet, Jesus Christ. This was the testimony of Stephen, linking the ministry of the prophets with the death of Jesus Christ. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Like Micaiah, Jesus Christ was opposed by the prophets of Israel. Like Micaiah, he insisted on saying only what God the Father told him to say. The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Like Micaiah, Jesus was falsely accused of being a false prophet and then falsely imprisoned. And like Micaiah, Jesus was slapped across the face. When Zedekiah struck Micaiah, he was showing what the Messiah would have to suffer for God's truth. On the night of his arrest, the men who were regarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, Prophesy! Who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. They abused Jesus the way they abused Micaiah, mocking his ability to prophesy. And like Micaiah, Jesus did not retaliate. He simply rested in the truth of God's word. He was willing to suffer for God's truth and for our salvation. Are you willing to do the same? Are you willing to suffer for God's truth? The Apostle Paul was, when he was brought before the religious leaders of his day, he looked them straight in the eye and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. God's children are willing to suffer such insults and such injuries for the sake of God's word, even unto death. 
They can only say what the Lord tells them to say, and they can only do what the Lord tells them to do. For they know that God's word is truth. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the riches of your word. We give you praise for the way that the men and women of Scripture show us both how to live and how not to live. And we pray for the work of your Spirit in our lives and for the courage not to be men and women and children like Ahab who hear your word and then do as we please, but rather to be like Jehoshaphat, seeking your counsel, even as it was for Micaiah and for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, even to the point of suffering. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse in the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.